better at some of those things than others, so don't, don't be too in awe. It's fine. <laughs> Great. Um, so, ever since the beginning, God has had an idea about how we should live and how he wants his children to live in a certain way. Uh, he's always set out to create a kingdom culture. So with Adam and Eve, that was a culture of stewardship and creativity. That was bringing order to chaos and being fruitful and multiplying. Then a bit further down the line with Abraham, you can read in Genesis 17, God promises Abraham that his descendants will outnumber the stars and he calls him to keep my covenant. That is to live a particular way. And they were even to have a physical sign in their circumcision of how they were different, how they were holy and set apart. And then we see this idea come to a head and come to its fullest expression in the biblical story so far. Um, A little bit further down the family tree, after Jacob has become Israel, and Israel has become a great and numerous people, God brings them out of Egypt to make a nation of them. And he gives them their culture. And he tells them, and this is Leviticus 18, if you ever want to look it up. He says, uh, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules, keep my statutes and walk in them. So God tells his people they're not to hold on to the past, not to conform to the ingrained habits of what was before. Nor are they to look to the sort of greener grass of the promised land and think, oh, we must behave like they do over there. Now, they're to be God's people, to live by what he says, what he commands, even if that stands in contrast to all the societies around Maybe this is the very beginning, sort of nation seed of what Jesus would one day come to describe as being not of this world. Even though we are in it, we are sent to it. He prays for his disciples in John 17. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are not of the world. But, Paul says in Philippians and probably other places, our citizenship is in heaven. So this is not really our home, not really where we belong. We know, Romans 8 for example, that we're not supposed to conform to the patterns of this world. That's a whole lot of what we should not do. So what should we be as a people of God? And as we've seen from some ancient Jewish scriptures, the question of how should God's people live has been asked for a very long time. What is the culture of a kingdom people? Steve. Thank you. So, I wonder when the last time was that you felt compelled to take action? When in your life, if ever, do you think you've heard something or learned something that has changed you 
and that you feel like you're never going to forget it and that your life just isn't going to be the same from now on. I'll give you a minute to think and you can talk to each other if you want to, but nobody's obliged. But to discuss with your neighbor if you're comfortable, when was the last time you felt compelled to take action about something? And the really brave ones amongst you might even share an example in a couple of minutes. Amazing. Thank you. Any more for any more? We'll move on. I'll give you some famous examples. You've probably all heard of Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, famous actors. Look them up if you don't know who I'm talking about. What you may not have heard of is uh, their tech startup company, which is called Thorn. So um, the two of them saw a documentary about child sex trafficking. And they described it afterwards as this moment when you learn something about the world that you can't unknow. So Thorne now houses the world's first engineering and data science team that is dedicated solely to developing technology that combats online child sex abuse. They work in over 38 countries. Their tools have been used by more than 9,000 law enforcement officers. Their technology has identified 10,081 child sex trafficking victims. They learned something when they saw that documentary and they were compelled to do something about it. They weren't just emotionally affected by what they saw, they were motivated to act on it. Francis Chan is a famous uh, church leader out in the States. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of him. He looks like that. Um, He tells a story about one of his church members who came to him one week, and they were just chatting, and the church members said that he was... um, really excited because he had all this money that he was going to start investing. He got this new new apartment and he was going to pour all this money into it to develop it and improve it and make it just this awesome place to live. And he was really excited about that. And not long after that, Francis Chan was preaching and he preached a sermon from um, Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus says this, many of you will, I'm sure, recognize the passage. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And this church member was really compelled by that message. He learned something that he couldn't unknow. He learned that out there, Jesus is starving. Jesus is sick and held captive, needs an advocate. Jesus is thirsty and cold and estranged. And he went and told Francis Chan, how affected he'd been by this, that he didn't feel like he could carry on living his life the same way anymore. And Francis Chan said to him, oh, but what about your apartment? And the man just said, oh, I I live in my car now. And he'd given it all up. He gave it all away. So he was compelled by what he'd learned about Jesus. Is that the kingdom culture? A culture that gives 
even when it costs you, of loving the alienated and forgotten. I think probably for most of you, that is sort of your story to a point. I think you're probably mostly here because at some point, you learned something about Jesus that you couldn't unknow, something that you couldn't forget about. You knew your life had to change. It had to be different going forward. You couldn't go on as before, knowing what you now know. And for any of us that have lost the wonder of that, and that are no longer compelled by that, by the person of Jesus that we met then, I pray the Holy Spirit would reinvigorate our spirits. That every morning we would wake up remembering what we can't unknow about our maker. And that every morning we would step out compelled by his love and grace to act. And for all of us, I pray that tonight maybe, maybe for the first time, the Holy Spirit would teach us something new about God. Something new that we can't unknow, that changes us. Because this is the pattern that we see in Acts chapter 2, the reading that we had. And it's repeated en masse. We get 3,000 people learning something about God that they can't unknow. And they're all compelled to live a different life because of what they've heard. But what is that life? What does it look like? There's all sorts of clues throughout the New Testament, but Luke here, the author of Acts, just focuses in on a few key ingredients of the early church. We get the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, and this is just a brief aside, it should really be translated the prayers. Because we have prayers that we say. It's not just general prayer, but devoted to the prayers. We could talk about all of those. They'd all take an evening, probably. For tonight, I want to talk a bit about fellowship. The fellowship. Now, sadly, in what was probably like an administrative error, the Bible was not written in English. So, the word here is a Greek word that's going to appear behind me. And some of you probably know, what is that word? There's a few pronunciations in the room. I'm going to go with koinonia. You can correct me later. This is the word for the fellowship that is used here. Fellowship is not a bad translation of koinonia, but it doesn't quite capture the fullness of the meaning of that word. There's a couple of other verses I'm just going to read to you that use this exact same word. Firstly, from 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul is talking about how generous the Corinthians are to everybody, and he's talking about the people that have um, received from them. And he says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So in 2 Corinthians, your koinonia is your contribution to the others. And secondly, in Philippians, and this is chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Here, koinonia is your sharing. You're sharing in his sufferings. 
So this is a word that's about more than just gathering together, more than just meeting up and spending time with one another. This is a word that captures the way we should be pouring into each other's lives, contributing, sharing, the mutual, familial relationships shared by all believers. Sorry. She should say united in Christ, but I've written untied in Christ. We have a we have a connection that goes deeper than mere blood relationships. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, he's told that his mother and his brothers are outside waiting for him. And he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. By doing God's will, by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, we become the brothers and sisters of Jesus and each other. We embrace the koinonia, fellowship of the church, sharing in suffering, contributing to one another's needs. They were selling their possessions in the early church giving to anyone who is in need. What was theirs was not their own, was not kept for themselves. This is the true meaning of the fellowship. And this kingdom culture is a culture that bears fruit. The apostles do many signs and wonders. Everyone is filled with awe. They were selling what they owned, giving to those who were in need. They ate together received their food with glad and generous hearts, and the Lord added to their number. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the table and break bread together with glad and generous hearts. But you can take this home with you as well. When Jesus talks about breaking bread, he doesn't just mean communion in a church service. He means every time we sit down and share a meal. We can share in the fellowship. We can receive that with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And the last thing I want you to know tonight is that there's always something new that you can learn about Jesus that you won't be able to unknow and that will compel you to live a different life. Be excited for tomorrow as you ask God to reveal more of himself. We started with a a verse from Leviticus. And it said, don't be like Egypt, where you lived. What is Egypt for you? What are the patterns and the habits that you've learned that you're still carrying? And it said, don't be like Canaan where I'm bringing you to. Well, what is Canaan for you? Who do you look to and think, oh, if I, I should just be like them? So as we come in a few minutes and we'll take the bread and the wine, I invite you just to ask God to help you put all those things aside, to fix your eyes on him, walk in his ways.
be compelled to live a kingdom life, devoting yourself to prayer, worship, to each other, for the sake of bringing his kingdom to earth and adding more to our number. Amen.